Welcome everyone. I'm your host, Cedric Shannon, and we're here at Weathertop Farm. Very briefly, Weathertop is uh, 65 or about acres. Um, we kind of estimate about three quarters of that is in usable pasture. And we are in the business of raising very delicious, healthy, and ecologically responsible meats um, based on our rotational grazing systems. We raise uh, broilers or meat birds and chickens and hens for laying eggs. We have sheep, we have hogs, we have turkeys, seasonally duck, and some rabbit. This is the first installment of a series that I have been thinking about doing for a while now. One of the reasons to do this would is simply to get a basic, give people a basic idea of what it is that we do, what it means to be a sustainable farm, what it actually is involved in regenerative, regenerative agriculture, um, particularly when dealing with um, animals in a rotational grazing system. Beyond the specifics of how we raise things, I would also like to go into the whys of, of why we do what we do. Um, we're not a hobby farm. We are trying to make a living out of this. Um, and But yet, we don't think of it as a quaint, fun thing to do. And we certainly, it's not a lucrative business. But we truly do believe that regenerative agriculture is one of the few real answers to a lot of the issue that we're facing as, as a globe. Um, it's one way to approach worldwide issues through a local lens. And we will be exploring this as as we go on. Personally, I uh, was a major a philosophy major in college, and I think very much that way still to this day. Um, you'll you'll see that I do made perhaps a lot of preamble. I have lots of caveats. Um, basically, it's a very typical philosophical thing to to set out a lot of ground groundwork, set up your premises and whatnot. And only from there, then you do move on to trying to make conclusions. And hopefully by the time that you've done all that preliminary work, that the conclusions you're arriving mostly make sense. They seem to be relatively logical, or at least, at the very least, a very natural outcome of the thought process. So the first groundwork I'd like to set out is um, two different paradigms of, of farming, two different pictures. Um, I do think when you, you use the word farm as a noun, there's still a place in the imagination of people to, they can still picture a farm like ours, 65 acres, multiple species, a multi-generational family farm where the personal life is very uh, interwoven and sometimes even hard to separate from the business. Um, we've got three generations here. We've got community. We've got neighbors. We've got some hired help, but and we've got a lot of visitors. Um, but typically, this would be a a picture of probably something that maybe maybe their grandparents did or something in the past. Or if it's of the present, it's typically thought of as something quaint, something fun, maybe something we'd retire to or if you had an alternative source of income, but not as a real contender, a real player in today's world uh, for producing food. 
in contrast are the other modern farms of thousands and thousands of acres if you're talking vegetables crops you're talking usually a monocrop with with massive machines heavily dependent on oil dependent on fertilizer and uh, very mechanized or in the animal world you got these massive warehouses of tens of thousands possibly hundreds of thousands of animals all packed in um, just producing in, in a factory model to get to the psyche behind this paradigm it fascinates me that you could go to a you would think a completely unrelated arena um, and find this verb farm. And, and I'm thinking of the gaming world where you got these computer games and you got to go up these levels. And there's this term called farming where you have this repetitive, mundane action. You're either acquiring resources or you're getting experience, but you got to do this sort of repetitive work in order to get up to the next level. Now, in some cases, you may be able to pay money. Um, and get up these levels, and then it's those that are not willing to pay the money, they have to farm, but then there's some games that even you can't have a go-around with money, and then in this case, you'll even have people who will hire others and use their characters, and they'll take the time and do the farming for them. For me, what, what I'm interested in is, is what are the assumptions behind that? So typically in a computer game, the resources are infinite. And as you go along, you may set up some maybe a city hall or something where you are extracting taxes from your population. And, the, and then once you've set up that infrastructure, you know that every day you're going to get uh, a thousand gold coins or something. And then you may set up... Uh, a mine and then you extract ore and you you know and you can depend on getting this much ore every day you may even set up farms you know for food or or they may sheep whatever wool you you you, you accumulate these these um these resources and you set up infrastructure to be able to extract it better and you also, at the same time, you, you need experience, so you maybe need to go out and fight bad guys, or maybe other players, or maybe monsters. But these resources and, and this setup is just always there. And then the other aspect to it, the other assumption, you know, is just that once you set up the infrastructure and the technology, then it just all magically appears. And you, you may go away and sleep for the night and then check on your computer game the next day and suddenly your coffers are full and your, you know, your storage of the ore and the, and the food and whatnot is good. And then you just need to use it up and, you know, buy something else and, and, and keep on growing and simply these these systems that you just amass wealth without really any thought to it. And it, I I think this is just a perfect model of extraction and it and it really sets um it gives you a sense of the tone of our relationship to these things like food or other resources. I mean whatever we want. We just go to the store and it magically appears there. And we it nicely packaged, and we when we purchase it, but we really don't know how it was made, where it came from. I mean, we've made some inroads. We we now know about blood diamonds. We we have labels like fair trade or uh, organic, or you know, and we try to deal with some of 
um, chemicals and non-toxic and, and whatnot. But really, for the vast majority of, of what we're purchasing, we have very little con- connection to it. And when it comes to food, I think as a civilization, we suffer very deeply with that. And so on the personal level, on the societal level, and definitely on the environmental level. So I need to give credit where credit is due. And I think I first encountered the paradigm of extraction, really, in the writings of of Wendell Berry, Um, one of my heroes. And uh, he lived through at least saw the results of the industrial factory farming taking over and really the dying out of the of the family farms. Um, in fact, I, I find his writing so sad at times that I have a hard time reading it. Um, but he also, um, one thing that stuck in my, my mind, that he said that we often take solutions that nature has figured out over the millennium, and we turn them into uh, several or numerous problems. And to apply that, to really delve into what that might mean, I think what he's referring to is, is say we take a, a CAFO of chickens or hogs, you know, you have thousands and thousands of hogs in a, in a confinement operation in a big warehouse, and suddenly you have this incredible density of of animals that are on concrete floors or maybe on some sort of plastic something with holes so that the the manure and the urine can be washed away but massive amounts of of manure you bring it in the feed and the feed goes through the animal and you got to do something with that excrement typically that goes into a lagoon and these are massive massive lagoons of just filled with just an enormous quantity of manure so whereas nature this was nature's way of of building fertility and closing circles of interrelated um, animals in the land instead we break those cycles and suddenly we have we have waste a, a very human concept of, of waste and then we in the concentrations that it is it's very toxic you either you know have to deal with it chemically or do something with it um, at times even if there's too much rain or there's flood the, you know this can get washed away and, and, and become pollution and um, become toxic to to rivers um, you know that's what's being referred to when you have the areas of the blue babies and these women are giving birth to two babies that have have had toxics toxins in their systems because of, of pollutions from lagoons and whatnot so but if you think about it you got all that you got to deal with it so then even once you've dealt with it and maybe you've now turned it into a product that's usable now you have to get it to places where they're going to use it because your farm is not growing stuff you're you are raising animals in a building so we have to transport this stuff somewhere maybe you have to transport it to to 
to do another process to it so that it can become some sort of fertilizer or whatnot. And then it has to be transported to another distribution center. Um, and then maybe taken, then they're shipped out all over and then individual farms can buy it and, and use it. Same for the product. So if you've, you know, if you've got 100,000 hogs in a warehouse and you uh, are processing this, this is not something that you're going to be providing to your local community. Um, you may or may not have a processor nearby, so you're transporting these thousands and thousands of hogs. They get butchered, um, and then they're transported to a holding place. It could be in another state, some refrigerated or uh, actually freezers, and um, from there it has to be distributed out, and then it's tra traveling, you know, being shipped around all to all the 50 states. Or And in, in each case, you... Well, they talk about the concept of that uh, your meal has traveled an average of 3,000 miles, and that's what it's getting into. So even if you don't think about the product itself as being extracted, the whole system that brings it up, that it's dependent on, is all dependent on oil. It's all dependent on transportation. It's all dependent on shipping or or trucking and whatnot. And so oil itself is a resource that we that we extract and we mine. And because of the subsidies, we're able to, to ship all this stuff around. And somehow it's cheaper that way. Um, regardless of consequences such as the the waste the environmental or even if it's even nutritionally um, rubbish so let's contrast that to regenerative agriculture right so here we are in a rotational grazing system um, even our hogs which are not ruminants they can't depend 100 percent on grass um, but they are out in the fields and we are we are feeding them um, some grain, um, but we're uh, kind of a wild guesstimation is somewhere between 20 and 25 percent of their intake can be of the pasture. But we're rotating them. So in our case, um, typically during this, the maybe not the winter, we don't rotate them quite as much, but the other, all the other nine months or so, they're getting moved twice a week. And so they get a fresh bit of pasture, which they love. It's amazing how much hogs love to, to eat pasture. In fact, you leave them there long enough, they uh, eat so much pasture, they go on from the what's on top to what's below the soil and dig it all up. But think about the waste. So they are, they're eating, they're excreting, and that gets put back into the land. You move on. You let it go. It doesn't. It doesn't accumulate in quantities that are toxic. And suddenly, the output of that system is now the input for an entire different ecosystem of the, you know, the dung beetles, the the worms, the, the nutrients that the soil needs, and the plants. And um, every, you know, you move these animals on, and after a couple weeks, you see this explosion behind them of green. And so there's a loop there. And so I think what I'm trying to get at in terms of these different paradigms is one of extraction is is you're completely disassociated with what what you are you are farming and what you're working with versus if you see that everything is interrelated. It's not just the person interrelated 
to the product, but the product, the animal, is also interrelated to the soil. It's interrelated to the land. And in each case, the land is what grounds you. I mean that figuratively and literally. And so when there is a connection, then you don't want to hurt the land. And you want, if you're dependent on your pastures to be productive, you're going to treat your pastures right. I think there's a very interesting philosophical question, and you can explore whether technology inherently lends itself to extraction, or if the reverse is true, where um, an extraction frame of mind leads you to create technologies to achieve those types of goals. I, I think, though, that behind all that, it, we need, always need to remember regardless of where you fall on that question, that technology is simply the type of power. And basically, in, in all areas, um, even technology that maybe have come out of a, of a framework that's not so extraction-oriented. And when you frame it in the context of power, then I think that we tend, we would understand, and we would understand that you need to, in order to use that power wisely, we have to be handled with restraint. And so, if you in a, an extraction frame of work, to have power is simply to just to be extract faster and longer and get this whole product out. Um, you're looking for maximum, maximum output as quick as you can. This mind frame of, of maximum extraction doesn't work when you're in a system of interconnected. So, and this can be seen no better than in, in farming, where there are very, very serious consequences when you don't practice it with restraint. Um, most businesses, you could sort of abstract this into just a maximum production, which would be your gross sales to, to net profit. And it could just be a bad decision of crunching your math problem and saying, oh, well, it's a better business decision. But when it comes to food, when it comes to farming, um, it's it has repercussions worldwide. So not only are we affecting the environment or we are... Um, polluting waterways, uh, we are um, eroding and using up our soil by the billion metric tons every year, um, but we're also um, detrimentally affecting people's health by not having proper nutrition. Think about the old story of the the goose that laid the golden eggs. I can't think of a more relevant story to that we need to hear today, but it was basically the goose laid one golden egg a day which is extraordinarily extravagant of i think trying to say that a goose provides an incredible amount of abundance and yet in the greed in his greed the farmer wants to get all the eggs at once so he ends up killing the goose and looking for the eggs inside and of course there was nothing in there cuz the goose was making as 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 it went every day. And I think that's a very beautiful um, metaphor of, of what nature does. And 
in a very real sense, I think of all our animals, um, kind of like golden geese. Um, some are even laying eggs, you know, they have golden in yolks inside. Um, but the real golden goose, the, and this is what I think I'm going to try to apply and try to make understand what I'm trying to get at with the whole restraint. For me, the real golden goose is the soil. We cannot continue to look at the soil as something to mine, to extract things from. Because in reality, the soil is a mind-boggling, complex, living ecosystem. And it's truly the, the heartbeat of an operation like ours. Soil, in our case, is supporting a perennial crop, and that is the pasture. And in a very, very real sense, our farm is a solar operation because there has never, ever been any photovoltaic technology that can remotely compare to photosynthesis. Um, perhaps the rainforest is better, but otherwise I think there was no better solar panel out there with a multi-species uh, pasture with grass and forbs and whatnot to be able to collect the energy of the sun and store it in a, a form that is accessible to animals, particularly ruminants. So how to figure out what's an appropriate amount of restraint? It, I, I look to, well not me, I've learned from others that we need to look to what's going on in the wild. And so we need to understand how soil was first um, pretty much manufactured. Um, and that was, at least here in the Midwest, it was the bisons. And it's these ruminants that come through in huge, huge, massive herds. Um, this can be uh, have parallels in, in Africa with the zebras and the wildebeest. Um, but... In the, in what's going on here is that you have a very high density uh, ruminant population that is traveling. They're very peripatetic and they just constantly eating everything under them. And the grass evolved with these ruminants to be able to handle that, to really be able to um, even thrive with this kind of really harsh eating down. Um, and it's it's worth mentioning that what's going on in the soil because that's really what's supporting the whole pasture. So anytime you you eat down whatever's on top of the blade of grass or the clover or whatnot, the roots will mirror exactly what's going on up top. So if you nibble it down to say two inches or whatnot, the roots underneath are going to pretty much die back to about two inches, which is perfectly fine. Um, there is they they have enough reserves within them. They're very resilient that they'll be able to grow right back. And all that. Um, dead organic material that died off from the roots becomes not waste, but it becomes it becomes food for a whole ecosystem and provides organic matter and you begin to even store carbon underneath and, and you build soil by this way. So you have um, an entire system going on underneath of interwoven roots that are dying and growing back and dying and growing back and, and providing um, an entire a buffet for all the critters and 
and and more. I mean, you have microbes and whatever bacteria and, and mushrooms and everything underneath there. But what's important in for us is that these huge herds of bison came and ate everything and then of course there's nothing to eat so they moved on and there would be a good long while before they would come back to that and the grass is perfectly fine if it's just eaten down once like that and it uses its reserve to spurt up again and to put out its blades of and leaves and that way it can capture more sun and rebuild and start the whole process over. It's a very abundant process. It's very um, a golden egg each time. What happens though on a on a farm is you often get this growth. The animal goes and eats the grass and it doesn't move on. We don't mimic nature and we need to learn these lessons and we need to learn them so that we can reclaim that abundance of the of the golden goose. And so for us, we're using electric netting and we use in order to that is our way of of trying to imitate and mimic what's going on in nature so that we give our animals a fresh piece of of grass. If it's the ruminants, then it's every day even the the meat chickens get a fresh piece every day. The turkeys, we also do that. And then the back fence behind them also gets moved so that they're never on an area for more than three, four days. And that allows for the grass to regrow again. And that's the restraint. Um, and if it's used properly, the great thing is that you're encouraging abundance. And instead of getting going for the maximum, you're getting optimum. And then the whole system begins to grow. And then you have, you have not only very, very healthy animals, but you're also taking care of your soil, which is the ultimate golden goose. And if you take care of your perennial, your perennial crop of the pasture... Then you have the found, you know, a very firm foundation for not only healthy animals, but even very productive animals in a very productive pasture that provides quite a bit of food um, for the whole system. So earlier, I had said that Weathertop was in the business of of providing meat, healthy meat, and ecologically responsible meat. But from another perspective, and this is what happens when you are looking at things through an interconnectedness. You're looking at the relationships through things. Um, and in another perspective, those, those are secondary. And our business is, is a perennial crop of the pasture. And that's really the solar panel. We've got to take care of the solar panel. If we're in the solar energy, then that becomes of prime importance. And the other things kind of center around that. And, um, <clears throat> you begin to have, well, in relationships and interconnected, you begin to have uh, a hierarchy of things. Um, you begin to make decisions um, depending on, well, it can d depend on the time of year, it can depend on what's important at that time. Um, but there's a little, there can be a, a good give and take between all the different types of animals and different operations, other considerations. There's always a consideration of how we make a living out of this. There's a consideration of, of, <clears throat> of, of, of pricing. There's a consideration of, of what kind of other feed implements you give and all this. There's a give and take, but at the center of it, at the hub is this, is the, is the pasture and is the soil that's that's supporting the pasture and so we make our decisions um one good example is your stocking rate 
so in the in the winter we are we don't do as much and we and it makes a it, <clears throat> it our decisions are made in terms of when the grass is is growing and when the grass is at its prime so if, for example this guy we had from the NRCS come and and I was looking for a little help with the project and he came to check out our place and, and see what was going on. And immediately he just looked at it and he said, you know, you're at about 10 to 20% of, of what you could be doing for production. And we were in the middle of the winter and <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. So uh, yes, my um, stocking rates are lower and uh, I'm certainly, I'm not doing the chickens. I'm not using all my land. Some of the land I have actually stockpiled the grass to, to, to provide for a fair amount of feed f for the ruminants in the winter. Um, and then I'm supplementing with hay, but many people around here for the sheep, they're they're or, or the, or the cattle, they're, calfing or lambing in the middle of the winter or in February and right and this is so you have an extremely high nutritional need and you have to supplement with a lot of feed this is it's not only expensive but it's not the natural course it's not easy on on the the livestock so for, for us we are we time it so that we lamb when the grasses is at its at its highest we're we're lambing about may and there they've had a good month of real flush as the as the end of their pregnancy and then they they lamb and then they have really high nutritional needs because they're lactating and they're usually they're usually nursing two two little two little lambs and so uh, coming in the winter, th this man, you know, his idea was maximum, and he told me, oh, you're only at 10, 20%, and you need to start adding these supplements, and you need to be feeding this and everything, all which very costly, and and not not at all in the rhythm of, of nature. And versus when uh, it comes April, May, I wish he could have come back and see that suddenly this is when I'm at maximum capacity. And this is because we're trying to to mirror the seasons and, and, and to follow the seasons. Of course, n nothing is perfect on a farm. So you'll have a time during the winter where it's just crazy wet or you've had a bunch of snow and it's now melted or you've had a bunch of rain or whatnot. And we do have hogs that go through the winter. And so we have to think about this. So I don't put those hogs in the winter on prime pasture. They're sort of in the back with some lesser pasture that doesn't get used quite as much. And you, and it always happens around this time of year where you, the it gets crazy wet and the hogs are so hard in the pasture um they they love pasture they'll eat it and then they start digging and everything and then you get mud involved and so you kind of have uh you know what they would call just a, a sacrificial area where you just know that it's going to be pretty rough there and so i it's one of those things compromise how things interrelate interrelate you know and i just know that I'll have to go back um, later on and probably give that pasture a little TLC, you know, maybe even seed a little bit, throw some hay over it, you know, just to give it a little bit of help for regrowth and maybe let it sit for a little bit longer than you typically would have to. But in each case, we're, um, we're, it's, it's not only about production. It's about um, it's it's a long-term production, right? So, that golden goose example is they wanted all the eggs all at once, 
But And that's why you get into words like sustainable or regenerative, because you want to keep that goose healthy. And if you keep the goose healthy, it's going to give you an abundance over and over. But if you want it all at once and you want to maximize everything and cut that goose open, you're going to find out that in the end you're going to pay for it. And you're not going to have nearly the gold that you, you could have had had you had patience and restraint. So to wrap up my ramblings a bit here, I, I talked earlier about the entomology of the word farm. Uh, took a little <clears throat> detour into the gaming world, and uh, I'd like to get back to that in against to sort of recap the differences of the two different paradigms of of agriculture. So farm, there is another interesting, um, at least historically, that farm was originally a word that it was a set tax um, that you had to give from your lands to the nobles or whatever that they'd come by yearly or whatever, and it was a set figure that, in a sense, um, was extracted either from from you or your land or your business or whatever. Um, then, in contrast, um, uh, we use the word um, in circles now, it's sustainable agriculture or regenerative agriculture. Um, and I think the sustainability definitely speaks to that whole metaphor of the golden goose and, and the long-term production. Um, and looking at nature, as um, we, we value efficiency, especially in the American culture, but it's a very myopic, narrow-focused efficiency of a, uh, efficiency of narrow, within narrow scope of, of doing one thing over and over again. But if you want to talk about real efficiency over the long term, and I mean over the very long term of, of eons and thousands and millions of years, there's nothing that is, is as proven as nature. And um, with the resilience um, of diversity, with the homeostasis of, of this whole, what looks like chaos usually up close, from a, a broader perspective and from um, taking a step back, you, you can see that, that the efficiency is um, is quite an amazing, and there's an amazing abundance there. And unbelievable that we have this little rock and planet in the, in the universe circling around this ball of fire, and everything here seems to be defying the second law of thermodynamics and we're just growing in complex organisms and there's um there's just this unbelievable abundance of of life and of of growth and in the for a long-term perspective um there's nothing that man has come up with that even remotely compares to that sort of efficiency so the idea of sustainability that you know the long-term view and the consistent in taking care of that goose so that you can get that abundance i think is a very crucial um to to understand um the importance of the word and then of course you have um that would be a little bit in contrast to regenerative, but I, I like the idea of regenerative because sustaining can, in many people's minds, can have this idea that you're just maintaining. Um, and regenerative gets at the aspect of of it's actually growing, the, the negentropy, the 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 creative, um, just nature is is 
procreative and it's regenerative and and especially when you're dealing with rotational grazing and you're building soil and you're sequestering carbon and you're increasing the nutritional value of things there's definitely um a, a more than just maintaining we are we are we are raising and growing products that are part of this whole system that is actually quite synergistic and it's quite abundant and it's procreative. And then, of course, there's agriculture. And um, agra is a Greek word for field. And culture, of course, take it as a verb and, you know, you have your biological meaning of, you know, you take a culture, you're, you're cultivating and you're growing uh you know, you're growing bacteria or whatnot, or as a culture, it's the accomplishments of, of, of civilization, you know, all these connotations, but culture is, again, a very, uh, you're taken care of, but you're not only taken care of, there's also very much that um, pro, you know, productive and creative aspect to it. And I, th I think, you know, there's a lot to say in names and, and and what happens when you pay attention to words and you pay attention to names. Hopefully, it helps a little bit as your orientation towards things. So if, um, if, if it's a little bit cumbersome to say, yeah, we participate in sustainable agriculture or regenerative agriculture versus just saying we farm, it's because of the connotations or the history behind or what comes to mind and definitely it's worth it to me at least to make these distinctions so that you keep fresh in your mind what the goals are and what your relationship needs to remain to to your whole operation to the animals to the land and to the people that we are um, are providing food for all right everybody thanks for listening and until the next time